Now, to our lesson this morning, all, all year long, we've been talking about what it means to be a healthy church. And, and I, hope, I hope that even as we've preached on these topics and others, that you've, you've thought about some of these issues as we go around the room. And, and you know, that idea of, of having a deep theology. I was, I was thinking about a sermon this last week, and I was thinking, I don't know if I want to go there or I don't want to go there. And I thought, man, a healthy church has deep theology. We can handle it. And so I'm working on it, and we're and just some things that I didn't think I had the courage, but I think we're going to push ahead on some of that. And but but to see that's what a healthy church does. That we have that we have leadership, that, that we spend time in prayer, that we actually share our faith. But but this morning I want to bring us to the very last banner that's been up there all year long, that a healthy church is a diverse church. Now, you'll notice on the PowerPoint slide that it says unity. And these are different ways that we could, that we could talk about this issue. And so I hope that we're going to see both sides of this. But, and yes, we want to be unified. We're going to look at John 17 in just a minute for the words of Jesus and how important he says unity is. But, but unity alone doesn't mean that we're healthy. It's unity in the midst of diversity that means that we're healthy. That means that we're efforting. Can I tell you that when I'm all by myself, I am a fairly unified person? Right? I mean, you, you, may, I mean, you may not, but I'm fairly unified. I tend to agree with almost everything that I think. Right? I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm my biggest fan. I, I, I like the decisions that I make. I am supportive of myself. But that doesn't mean I'm a healthy church. See, we have to branch out and we have to, we have to say not just one, but two, and not just two, but three, and not just three, but five, and, and, and 100 and 200, and however many people we have when we come together. And guess what? We have some differences. We have some differences that we're efforting to be unified in spite or maybe because of our diversity. That's where the challenge is. And that's where we'll really see whether we're a healthy church or not. When that unity is challenged by our differences. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Listen, th this is not new, okay? The church has always struggled with differences. People have always struggled in relationships. Isn't that what the church is? It's a whole bunch of relationships brought together in Christ. That's what it means to be a part of the church. Brothers and sisters, that family connection that, that we've talked about. People have always struggled with these things. So conversely, the biblical text in talking to these congregations has always addressed these things. Corinthians chapter 12, 14, and we could actually read the whole thing, but for sake of time, we'll start in verse 14. The body, for the body is not one member, but many. For the body is not one member, but many. That, that understanding that the church is not just me. The church is not just you. The church is many members. 
If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Well, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the smell be? To understand that we are different and that we, because of those differences, can serve different roles in the body. But that sometimes, even as we serve different roles, there can be contentment, not contentment, contempt, contempt, because of that. Sometimes we like our place. Sometimes we resent another person's place. Sometimes we wish that God had put us in another person's place. True? Take your head up and down, right? It's the truth, whether we want to. I mean, he says that goes on, right? No matter what role you have, sometimes you say, man, it would sure be nice to be so-and-so. This position or that position. He says, quit doing that. Quit doing that. It doesn't mean you shouldn't grow. It doesn't mean you shouldn't strive to change and flex. But, but to understand, to understand every person has part in the body. Whether you're an eye, whether you're an ear. Listen, every part of your body is important. Even he's going to go on to talk about those parts that would seem, that would seem to be less important. They're still important. But now... God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. So this understanding that God has made you, God has placed you where He wants you to be. And this understanding that we tend to have that, well, it just kind of happened that way by accident or by chance, Paul doesn't believe that. Paul believes that, there's some, that, that God, in some way, made you the way that you are. He's not talking about sinful things, or he's just talking about who you are. He's talking, about, he's talking about your abilities. He's talking about your personality. He's talking about your position, right? And we could, if we had to take a time, we could elaborate on all of those things. He's saying those things are the way they are because of God. So when you think, well, I wish I was this, or I wish I was that, God doesn't. Now, once again, if it's sinful, it's a whole other thing. This is not sin. God doesn't wish you were something else, or He would have made you something else. So to understand, okay, if God has made me who I am, if God has placed me where I am, then to what purpose or to what end? Not to sit around and complain about what I'm not, or to complain or to sit around and be jealous, or to sit around and allow those just to cause division in the church. That why? But to build us up. For if they were all one member, then where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Okay, so that's our baseline. That we are the church, but we have differences. If you're involved in a congregation, everyone in the congregation looks exactly like you. Can I tell you that you're not working very hard for unity? If you're involved in a social group, everyone in your group in the congregation looks exactly like you. You're just taking the easy way, not the godly way. I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying that, that if, I, if I just flock together with people who are just like me, then I'm doing that to, to the exclusion of everybody who's not like me. 
look around. I see a lot of people who aren't like me. You see a lot of people who aren't like you. I've got to work to be unified with those people. That's a healthy church. That's a strong church. That doesn't happen accidentally. Do we understand that? It doesn't happen accidentally here in this place. You don't get healthy accidentally. You don't get strong accidentally. We must effort. We must effort to be unified in the midst of diversity. Jesus would pray in John 17. You guys know this. This is, this is that, that true Lord's Prayer when Jesus is, is there and He's bearing His soul before the Father. But, but, but He prayed in John 17. He said, I pray that those who believe in Me through, through their Word, that they may all be one. Even as Thou art Father in Me and I in Thee, that they also may be in us. That the world may believe that thou didst send me. The credibility of the church, no less, is at stake in our ability to get along. In our ability to be unified. Guys, that means this is worth putting some effort into. This is worth investing some time into. We ought to be as close. So you, you, you think that we have this down, but I'm, but I'm about to show you that we, we have a ways to go. The goal that has been set before us is for us to be as close to one another as the Father is to the Son. I'm talking Holy Trinity stuff where they are three, but they are one. And I don't even have the words to completely understand it. He says, that's the relationship that I want all who believe in me to have with each other. Now, does everyone feel the challenge of that? Not just, hey, I want you to quit being mean to each other. Sometimes we struggle with that, right? He says, I'm raising the bar. This is why I'm dying. I'm not just dying so we can come and sit beside each other and not talk to each other. I'm dying so that, so that these people might be as close to each other as the Father is to the Son. So that the world might believe. Because we live in this world that magnifies our differences. We all feel that. We all feel that every day, everywhere, even in this moment, we feel that from the world that is around us, our differences. But even as we feel those differences, it makes unity really stand out. It makes unity in the, in the face of diversity stand out something different. There's something different about what moves these people. There's something different about what motivates these people. That's what we're striving to be. Paul would say in Galatians 3, in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. As we look at those words, may, may we not think that, may we not undersell the power of what's being said there. Because he describes some people who are very, very different. And those differences 
And those differences can tear us apart and pull them apart. They did in the first century. They will today. Jews nor Greeks, we, we hardly even understand what that means because we don't think about things in terms of Jews or Greeks or Jews or Gentiles. But to understand that was the number one issue in the first century church. If there was an issue, right? We may have an issue today. Maybe an issue of, of, of uh, women preachers is big today or marriage, divorce, remarriage or what. I mean, we say these are the issues that are threatening the unity of the church. First century church, Jew-Gentile relationships. It's the topic of conversation in almost every single epistle. Why? Because a Jew was someone who knew and worshipped and honored Yahweh. From, from a ver- their very earliest of ages, they had been taught to, to respect and to honor God. Holiness was not a new concept to them. And now all of a sudden, you're putting them together with these Gentiles? With these Greeks? Listen, it's not just that they had trouble worshiping together. They wouldn't even eat together without having to go through a ceremonial purity ritual. I mean, you try to picture what, what that would be like. You know, hey, uh, uh, Brenda, I can have lunch with you today, but afterwards I'm going to have to go through a, a purification ritual before I'll be clean again. I mean, then that gets crazy, right? God says, I take Jews and Gentiles and I make them into one. Neither slave nor free. Is there a difference in a slave and a free man? There's a world of difference. I mean, I don't care what you do with, with that word slave, with, with, with that do loss, right? And you can, you can try to understand what it is and some misconceptions that we have. There is a world of difference between a slave and a free man. Because every slave wants to be a free man, and every free man does not want to be a slave. But yet he says, you come together at the church, worshiping under the same roof, or under the same tree, or wherever you're coming together, and all of a sudden you're one. He's not just my master, he's my brother. He's not just, he's not just my slave, he's my brother in Christ. Do you think that that caused issues in the first century church? Go and read the book of Philemon if you don't think it caused issues. Men and women. I mean, the numbers of books that have been written about the differences in men and women. Are they different? Are they different? Yeah, right? Don shaking his head, Theresa shaking her head. I mean, I mean, this is right. Of course, men, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? And even if you haven't read the book, you understand what they're trying to get across. This is a different animal here. I mean, that, and all of a sudden he says, "You're one in Christ." That's the power. That, that's what a healthy church looks like. And we say, okay, so, so what, no, you know what would be a lot easier? If we just had a Gentile church and we had a Jewish church. And, I mean, same town, right? We could have the Gentile church meet over here and the Jewish church meet over here. How about if we had a, how about if we had a, a slave church over here and we had, a, we had a free man's church over here? Those things have existed throughout time, haven't they? 
You can have a church, it's not a healthy church. How about if we had a church where all the men got together and we had a church where all the women got together? Would that be a healthy church? No. He says you need to work these things out. We talk about oneness in marriage, and, and I, I try, like to make the comment, and I'll continue to make the comment, that anything that threatens oneness in your, in your marriage is something you need to fight against. But I would say the same thing in the church. Whenever we see ourselves being divided in the church, we need to fight against those things. I know what divides us. We need, we need to strive to be brought together. Christ pulls us together. That, that's... that's I. That's an idea, right? That's a principle. How do, we do that? how do we do that? Practically speaking, how does that happen? Go back here to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Who facilitates this? Who goes first? I'm in conflict. We have division because of our differences. Who goes first in this? This is back to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 23. Now, those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness, whereas our seemly members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked. Okay, so who goes first? It is the one, it is the one that appears to be the weaker, that needs those who appear to be stronger to go first. Paul spoke in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. You, you, you know these words, where he speaks about restoring a brother who is erring. If any man is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You're supposed to be working for reconciliation. You who are spiritual, you who claim to know Christ, you who claim that we are one in Christ. Whoever, whoever knows Christ more, that person, that person should, be, should, should step up and say, I'm the one that's going to work for reconciliation. I'm the one that's going to work for unity. I'm the one who's going to build up the, the health of the church and, 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 and in the face of great diversity. The one with the ability, the one with the advantage. Isn't that what he's saying there? We don't get at a standoff and say, well, well I, I'm willing to be unified as, as soon as they're willing to be unified. Well, I'm willing to be unified as soon as they're willing to do what I want them to do. He says, he says those, those that would appear to be less seemly have more need of those to reach out to them. This is how we find unity. Those differences that exist. We, 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 could, we could go on, but I thought about prosperity differences. So, so when I was growing up, um, one thing that I heard about the congregation that I grew up in, I, I didn't say this, but I heard people say this. They said that our church was a rich church. Okay? So this was just this, and, and what they were saying was that there are a lot of people there who have a lot, who have a lot of, of money. And sometimes what they were trying to get across was because they didn't feel like they had a lot of money that they wouldn't be welcome there. Now, I'm not trying to say if that was true, untrue, or not. I'm just saying that that was the perception that some people had. Do we have differences in prosperity in this room? Yeah, of course we do. Of course we do. And th th what fascinates me is that we probably all see those differences a little bit differently. 
depending on where we are on that scale. And sometimes there's that fear that those who have a lot will look down upon those who have a little, or those who have a little will resent those who have a lot, even in the midst of the church. Listen, whether you have a lot or whether you have a little, that's not good, bad, indifferent, or whatever. Just thank God for whatever you have. God's the one that gave it to you, and it has more to do with Him than it has to do with you. That's a lesson for another time, but to understand that. But that being said, because of our flesh, we still struggle with these things. There there are some of you who live in such a fine neighborhood that the only time I have ever been to that neighborhood, they turned me and my family around at the gate and said, no, sir. (laughs) And I can tell you, I felt like, what? Seriously. Now, I say that in, in light of the fact that last week, someone was talking to me and they said, oh, you live in a really rich neighborhood. And I thought, well, I, I mean, I, I, I guess you would see it that way. And maybe I, I mean, you, you get the point I'm trying to make? That, that we tend to look at those things differently depending on where we are. I, I, don't, I don't know where you are, okay? But those things can become a burden to us. Because in our world, it says that we separate based upon our financial ability. Not in the church. Not in the church. We come together in Christ. Paul said when he wrote to Timothy, he said, I want you to instruct those who are rich in this present world. Okay, and while you're thinking about who this verse is for, right, realize that for most of us, this is verses for us. Um, I think if you made over $40,000 this last year, you are in the 1% of wage earners in the world. Those numbers could have changed a little bit, but not much. Um, so there I'm looking at a whole bunch of very evil one percenters, okay, in this room, however you want to put that together. It's us. Tell them... Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. How do we, in the midst of our diversity, how do we find unity? Well, he says those of you who are rich need to be generous and ready to share. So many stories that I wish I could tell about those who are prosperous, who help have helped, continue to help, will help those who are without. On a weekly basis, those things that go on in this place. Those, difference, those differences aren't new. As a matter of fact, I thought about like in, in Acts chapter 4. There was not a needy person among them. Is that a powerful testimony for a church? There was not a needy person among them. How so? For all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. Because those who had were concerned about those who did not. Do you think that that helped some of those who did not have understand? Listen, they're not looking down upon me. They're sacrificing for me. I hope it did. It should have. Unity in the midst of diversity. Even those, prosper, those difficulties of prosperity. By the way, if you find yourself on the low end of that, I've experienced some of this too. Please don't resent those. Please don't resent those who have been blessed. 
I, I, sometimes we, we dismiss people because they have achieved a certain financial standing. That's wrong. That's wrong. We, 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 none of us like to be judged in that way. And it, it allows diversity. It allows, us to, it allows us to be divided instead of to be united. So, so in, that, in that church that I grew up in, I said people would say it's a rich church, but I didn't tell you the whole story, right? You ready to get uncomfortable for just a second? What I always heard growing up was the church that I grew up in was a rich, white church, right? I didn't say it. Somebody else said it. But you know what they were trying to say, right? So, so this idea of what, what does that mean? Well, they were saying that there's a bunch of white people there, and, and it's the way that, that they want it. And they were acknowledging, I guess, this, this differences of, of culture. That we have these different cultures, and one culture becomes the dominant culture. Do we have different cultures? That's not just a black-white thing. There are lots of different cultures represented here today, and sometimes they cause division, right? Um, Tara, the other day, uh, Chance was explaining that you're not a big fan of cheese grits with fish. Well, that means you ain't from around here, right? I mean, that, it's, it's just it's a cultural thing. I wasn't either until I'd been here for a while, and now that's great. You know, of course, where's the grits? If we're going to have fish, how can you not have the... T- I'm just saying that, that, that the, this is an example of how our cultures tend to shape us. And, and we are different people who are products of the places that we come from. But sometimes those differences, those differences can drive us apart unless we work on it. Unless we're intentional about those things. The one was standing, learning to reach out to use the power that we have. I told you, Jew-Gentile relationships is the very first thing in the first century church, right? So we had this, this whole scene where, where Peter sees the Holy Spirit falling and baptizes the first Gentiles and even goes to Jerusalem and makes this marvelous defense of what in the world are you doing baptizing a bunch of Gentiles? Which seems strange to us, but don't, I'm just trying to get the point that it was a big deal and he was the leader of the movement of change for more unity in the body. Jews and Gentiles, great thing. Slide forward just a couple years. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. What what happened? His culture caused division in the body. It wasn't that he didn't know these things. He stopped working to pursue these things. I'm just telling us if, if Peter is susceptible to these things, I'm thinking we might be susceptible to these things too. And Paul says, that's not going to stand. We're going to have to work on that. In spite of what our cultures are. One of the cool things about uh, Force Park to me is that, I, and I think part of this has to do with a lot of, um, with, with the Air Force Base here and so many transient people from so many different places and so many different cultures. And some of you transplanting here, but people moving in and out where you're, you're used to some different cultures, right? Which I, I hope I hope, cause us to be more aware and more understanding of those things. But we got to work at it. 
we got to work at it because people do things that's not the way I would do it, and I don't understand that. And it's about, once again, we're not talking about sin, right? We're just talking about, about the way that people approach these issues of life. Hey, in, in our world, I, we, don't, we, we don't have um, Jewish churches and Gentile churches, but, but back to that original issue, um, black churches and white churches, Where's that at in the Bible? Where's that at? I'm telling you, that's not in the Bible. Is that easy? Yeah, in some ways it's easy, okay? If you put this culture over here and this culture over here, and then you just don't have to worry about all, all the, the struggles that come when you bring these two cultures together. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you that God says, work it out. Spend some time, spend some effort, get to know each other, be understanding, show love for each other. That's what a healthy church looks like. It's healthy in the midst of diversity. One of the things that I love about Forest Park, and I am not saying we don't have some room to grow on this, because I know we do, and we've talked about those things. But I love being able to preach and and seeing so many different nationalities and cultures that are presented here every single Sunday. Now, don't think that that doesn't make this job a little bit more challenging. It does, but it's worth it because that's what a healthy church looks like. That's what the church of the New Testament looks like. And we can't be satisfied just to surround ourselves with people who look and think like we do. That's not healthy. So, prosperity differences, cultural differences... We've talked about this one a little bit before, theological differences. Now, I'm not talking about different doctrines. I know that there's, there's one faith, right, Ephesians, Ephesians 4, and that faith has been, been once d- delivered for all. But I'm talking about a culture of, of a healthy church wherein we are growing in our faith, where we are working through these things, where we have a climate where, where people can grow. Is it possible to have a climate in a church where people can't grow? Yeah. Most of you have probably experienced that, right? Maybe on, on one end or the other. But when I look at the first century church, I see a lot of people who believed a lot of strange things. They were wrong, right? Uh, Deacon read for us um, from uh, 1 Corinthians 8 about in the first century in the Corinthian church, there were these people who thought there was something to meat sacrifice to idols. Now, he, now we know that's not true, right? I mean, you can, you know, take you a pig and... and sacrifice it to Huda Huda, you know, and do all that. And I know good and well Huda Huda doesn't exist. I just made up that pagan god. If you're, if you're thinking about Googling it, okay, I just made it up, just like all pagan gods are made up. Doesn't exist. Let's have some barbecue would be my, my response to that. But, but some people don't know that. Well, it's possible that my knowledge can puff me up to the point that I destroy another soul. Right? That's, that's what he means there in, in this 1 Corinthians 8 where he says, and love edifies. Th- th- this, this environment where people are allowed to grow, and this is, this is what fascinates me about Paul in the first century church, where Paul would be patient with someone at the same time that he would say, and that's sinful, and that's right, or that's wrong. I don't have to compromise in order to have the conversation or to help you grow in that process. This is hard. This is hard, and if you have all the answers to this, then you come talk to me later, because I don't, okay? I'm working on this. But I look at that first century church, you know, there were people in that church who, 
Well, they didn't believe in the idea of the resurrection. Right? They were wrong, but sincerely, they didn't think there was a resurrection. They, there were people that wanted to bind circumcision. There, there were people in that church who, who thought they had a, a special knowledge, right? Gnosticism, I saw we got that in class this morning, right? This idea of, of something special. That there were, hey, there were people that wanted to take grace and somehow make sin an okay thing. There, there were, hey, there were women who were struggling with being submissive in the church. That's just in Corinth, right? And all those things are wrong, and all those things are being addressed. But this culture, this climate where we could address them and we could grow in those things. A theologically diverse congregation. And please don't go somewhere with that statement, and maybe that's even a bad, a bad terminology. Maybe a better way to put that would be a congregation that has people at all points of spiritual maturity. All growing, never compromising. That, that's one reason why not everyone can lead, right? Not even in the first century church, because not everyone's at that point. I just want you to think about that. I, I, want, I want us to think about, about how, how, do we, how do we come together? Now, now, once again, people go off the deep end on all these things and, and try to act like our differences don't exist. Well, that, that's foolish. That's foolish. If, I mean, if I try to act like there are not people here who make different, different amounts of money, well, that's just not true. If I try to act like there are people in here and we, and we all have the same culture and we, and, we all see, and we all see customs and things like that the same, that just wouldn't be true. If I try to act like, well, we're all at the very same point of spiritual development, it just wouldn't be true. And I have to acknowledge that. I have to acknowledge that diversity so that I can work towards unity. That's a challenge. But when we do that, when we do that, we become something very, very beautiful. We become more than ourselves. We become the church of Jesus Christ, brought together Jews and Greeks, male and female, slave and free you peg in the things that tend to pull us apart and if you need help identifying those things i could walk around the room and show you some of the things that pull us apart on a pretty regular basis brought together in christ because he is the one who saves he is the one who can unify man through his blood Friends, if you're here today, I want you to know, I want you to know that whatever has happened in your life that Jesus Christ already knows and that he loves you and that he cares for you and that he has died for you and he has shed his blood for you. And if you believe that, if you believe that and you are willing to come and to confess and to repent of your sins and to be baptized and have your sins washed away, he will add you to the church church that belongs to Jesus Christ. It doesn't look like me. It doesn't look like you. It looks like the Son of God. That's what a healthy church looks like. I pray that's what each one of us are striving to look like. Friends, you may just be over, overwhelmed with the difficulty that we call life. Can I tell you that when I don't have anything good to say, 
and I don't have any wisdom, there is one who has power to bring a peace, a peace that passes all human understanding. And that, God says, you come to me and you take hold of my peace. You come this morning as we stand and as we sing.